All right, I think we're good now. Looks like our audio was not on, but it is on now. Hello, everyone. It is good to see you. We've got Wayne on. Everything looks to be working fine. So, oh, we got big Wayne already. There we go. Boing. There it is. I love how your video jumps around like that. I have no idea whatsoever that causes that. But anyway. So, hello, everyone. I see lots of awesome people out there. I hope you're enjoying me using some of my own music as our bumper music now because that'd be better than just me jumping on and going, hello. So, hello. All right. Before we start, I cut a little promo to help out with our sponsor, Randy from Houston's Lower the Friction. So before we begin on our Saturn venture, I'm going to play that little clip for you guys, and you can tell me if you like my voiceover work. Here we go. Did you know know that 85% 85 of your engine engine wear occurs occurs at at startup? Yes, Yes, that is correct. correct. And this this is where the friction friction comes in by putting a protective protective lubricating barrier barrier on all moving parts. parts. This now gives gives you full-time protection to make your engine engine last longer, run smoother, smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS. All right. Again, that's uh, Randy from Houston's little venture he's doing, LowerTheFriction.com. I'm using it myself, and I'm getting, depending upon where I'm driving, three to five miles per gallon extra uh, than I was getting before in my little Honda. So anyway, I noticed a couple people noticed. Yes, I've got, I've got quite an Aragorn going on here. I decided to let it grow in for a week. Uh, my face was kind of irritated last week when I shaved one day, and I was like, mm, better give it a bit of a break. I'm not overly fond of facial hair. I think it ages me, but uh, whatever. I'm going to leave it go because Rose likes it. Anyway, <laughs> we still got Jumping Wayne around. Looks like we already got a super chat from somebody. Let me zap, zap back in the chat here and see who hooked us up. Kevin for $7.77. Thank you so much, dude. That's awesome of you. It says I have a little bit more, $9, or maybe that's a translation. Anyway, hopefully the sound is good. Hopefully the audio is good, except for Jumping Wayne, but we we can live with Jumping Wayne. All right. 
Oh, yes, Rose. I'll tell them who I'm supposed to be like. Uh, my joke was I'm doing the David Gilmore 1970 look. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up pictures of Pink Floyd from 1970. <laughs> it made me want to go out and buy a black Stratocaster for anybody who knows what that is. But I have a blue one. I don't really need a black one. But I, but I wouldn't turn it down if somebody wish- me one. I mean, you know, can't have enough Stratocasters. Mm. My tea Showing your age now, Jason. I'm sorry? You're showing your age. Oh, I write a Pink Freud. I must be old. <laughs> oh, I must be. Must be an old guy. I don't know. There's a couple of us old guys around now. <laughs> uh, the Great Baldini is supposed to be joining us. Uh, he said perhaps about 30 minutes late because he was uh, otherwise preoccupied. I have a weird reflection. That is very odd. Can anybody else see that? It's like on my face. I wonder if my thing needs to be wiped off. Let me, let me try that. If not, I'm just going to ride with it as is. Just roll with it. Let's see if that helped. I don't know. Maybe something in the room is reflecting. Anyway, who cares? So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be discussing Saturn symbology. And uh, there's a lot to this. Uh, Wayne and I kind of broke up how we're going to approach it. I did the the mythological stuff since I have just recently done that with shows with Crow. And I kind of knew off the top of my head where to go to find that stuff real quick. But I also added in some of the uh, rabbinical aspects to it so we're going to go through that but uh, Wayne is going to actually break down some more of the actual um, symbols and things like that that get attributed to Saturn and why and uh, as I said the great Baldini should be joining us soon but if he doesn't we've got plenty of material to cover Wayne do you have any opening comments before I go into our first point here no, just uh, want to welcome everybody to uh, another live stream here at Secrets of Saturn Live and, uh, you know, put a shout out out there to our friends over at the Fringe FM and also, uh, you know, to go ahead and say thank you to Randy from Houston uh, for his sponsorship and uh, check out LowerThePriction.com, promo code SOS for uh, 5% savings on your order. And, you know, from there, let's just get right into it. I'm just checking over the chat here. Um, I appreciate the suggestion of coconut oil. I have tried that before. I'm actually using this stuff called Monat, M-O-N-A-T, that has made light years difference. Now, obviously, as you get older, your your hair starts to thin out and stuff like that. My Thank God my hairline hasn't changed. But that's what I've been using. And if anybody wants to know more about it, um, I can't say how good this stuff is. I'm blown away. It's actually Rose's friend that turned us on, turned us on to it. Uh, if anybody wants to know more about how fantastic this stuff is, my hair is growing like crazy. Like, I haven't had it grow this fast since I was in my 20s. So, anyway, and I did put it on my beard today just for the hell to see if it would do anything. Um, <laughs> just out of sheer curiosity. Rose said it made it uh, softer. So, we'll see. Anyway, I notice how these uh, these live it's streams are getting beard. more and more informal, which is great because everything I do with Crow is so uh, edited tightly and everything. I like everything to be perfect. With these, I just like to... Sit back, relax, let you look at my beautiful Taylor guitar and um, talk about my hair. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if that's the way the conversation goes, man, that's what we do. If it's all about talking about hair, which Baldini will be on. So there'll be some mention of (laughs) hair or or lack thereof at some point. So (laughs) that's usually how this thing goes. So. Uh, but you have a great pirate name, by the way, Softbeard the Pirate. Softbeard. So you can always Arby go Softbeard. with that. Softbeard. I've got me a cup of strawberry Arby hibiscus tea. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, first point we've got on Saturn is, well, let me set it up this way. Has anyone out there seen a documentary called Shoot the Moon? 
If you haven't, I made it. Hmm, it's about pro's work. Here. But a lot of the uh, little captions we put as scene cuts were from something called The Rubiat by Omar Khayyam. And this first thing is from that, and I thought that would be a great way to start this off. Up from Earth's center, through the seventh gate I rose, and on the throne of Saturn sate, and many a knot unraveled by the road, but not the master knot of human fate. What do you make of that, Wayne? Uh, that's actually some pretty beautiful poetry, first off. Uh, Omar Khayyam was, uh, you know, quite quite the uh, the linguist, uh, per se. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot uh, just encoded in that very first statement right there. Uh, the seventh gate and, you know, the, this this kind of stuff is, is all... Uh, it's all over the place with the, the Saturn symbology. There's just so many things associated with Saturn uh, as a concept, not just the planet. And that, that's where people get confused because in the modern age now that we're in, when we think of Saturn, we're thinking of this, this you know, spinning ball out in outer space with rings around it, flying around the universe at, I don't know, millions of miles per hour and circling the sun and everything else. So this, this is kind of the... Uh, the, the mindset that the image that uh, media has programmed us with with this so this is kind of what they want us to attribute this to and they want us to think of it as strictly a physical object in space and there's so much more uh involved with the whole saturn ideology and it's it's i prefer to tell people when they're looking at these things look at them as more of like a concept or an archetype uh rather than like a physical object, because that's kind of what we've been been given as an image for this thing. So, uh, you know, th and this relates back to the whole graven image thing mentioned in the Bible as well. This this kind of thing, and it, this goes along all different things, not just uh, you know talking about like images of God, but images of a lot of things. Like a lot of these are philosophical concepts that have been just given a, a, a physical material identification. Uh, for people to uh, be able to relate to, but a lot of times they miss uh, the overall uh, underlying ideas that are involved with this. So this this is what we're going to look at and explore a little bit more here. So uh, you know, Saturn, it, it's it's got a lot of different ties in our world, and and we'll see as we the mythology kind of unfolds a little bit, and the symbolism's all over the place. Even in the modern age, all you have to do is look around at different uh, businesses and and just different aspects of our society. The symbolism's everywhere. I mean, it's even right there. That's my wedding ring, right? Where's <laughs> that come from? Ring. What's the, where did? <laughs> Right. Where does the wedding ring idea and concept come from? This relates back to Saturn. So, I mean, there's no denying that this is a visible thing in our sky. But the ideas attributed to it take on a whole life of their own. So, you know, this this is kind of where people miss the boat on a lot of this stuff. They're thinking strictly in terms of astronomy when they're looking at this stuff and they're talking about, you know, flying Cassini probes around it and taking pictures and, and this and that, this is the kind of image that you you're given, uh, by our modern scientism that, that they push. But, uh, there's a whole lot more related to this. It's, it's a type of energy 
okay when it comes down to it i guess that's the best way to describe it it's like an archetypal energy that could be played upon for different purposes and uh they could you know pretty much imbue this energy into different symbols or objects or concepts to to push agendas or any number of things and, and this is something that, that escapes a lot of people because this relates back to the whole idea of magic, per se. And, uh, you know, there's a real science to that. This is an ancient science, and people overlook that. This is kind of what we would term as uh, alchemy or natural science, this kind of thing. There's different things related to these energies that we could know things about as long as we know what we're looking at or we're taught. Uh what this means or or you know how the timing of it works and this kind of thing and that's why it's so important that we study the sky clock because this is kind of one of the keys to it these planetary so-called planetary energies can be grasped and utilized by uh by people to benefit themselves but the power structure the powers that be at the top of the the power pyramid the elites they utilize these different concepts themselves uh, for the purposes of control and furthering their own agendas. And they would prefer that, you know, the public at large be ignorant of these uh, archetypal energies. And I, I that's really kind of the best term I, I think I could put to words for what, what this really is when it relates to these planetary forces and things like that. It's more than just a physical object spinning around in space like they would have you believe. So there, there's different things associated with all the different planets. But tonight, we're basically going to look at the whole idea behind Saturn, uh, the Saturnian energies, and, and things of that nature, and kind of the history of where all this stuff comes from and how it ties into modern religion and uh, just modern modern science, too. I mean, if you want to put it that way, because uh, they, they utilize a lot of these different concepts in our modern science, and they also push it... Uh, with the whole science fiction kind of narrative that, that they've been trying to steer our reality into as well. So there's a lot of different crossovers there. So we'll go ahead and, and take a look at that because the, the symbolism for it's everywhere, first of all. But it's important that's to understand the backstory. So that's why we're going to touch on like the, the, the myth, the mythology and that kind of thing. So, you know, we could move forward from there, maybe try and stick to the timeline here a little bit and give people a uh, kind of overview of, of what the original myth is that associates with Saturn. Absolutely. Uh, we've got two super chats I want to shout out real quick. Thank you so much, folks. Street Smart sent $5. Y'all are badasses. Much love. Side note, fluff Star Wars. <laughs> Cheers and thanks. <laughs> uh, another five bucks from Brian. Thanks, Brian. I'm curious, what do you think the end goal for this uh, Mexican beer calamity is? I think you all can figure that out. Uh, is it forced vaccinations or getting people used to quarantines, etc.? Well, I would say testing the waters more. Um, there's a big funny thing happened that I mentioned when I was on with uh, Jaron and those folks on Monday uh, that Crow and I have been talking about. And there's this mass CEO exodus going on this year. Just look it up. Bob Iger from Disney is probably the most – a high profile one that just left his position, but there's tons of people doing that. And it's almost like you, we got to wonder, is there a shifting of the gears a changing of the guards? What's going on here? We don't know, but these things are coinciding uh, apparently 
And I think that they're probably doing what they're always doing, and they're trying to move the Overton window. So do I think that this is the lockdown that someone like an Alex Jones would be screaming his head off about? Uh, probably not. But what are they doing? Trying to see, will people take a vaccine? How many people will take a vaccine? Uh, how, how crazy will they go? What's the level of, like, all that stuff? Uh, looks like uh, the great Baldini is ready to be added in. We'll get to him in just a second. Wayne, do you have anything you want to say about that? Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, they're, let's put it this way, they're up to no good with this whole idea. Uh, this is what they're doing. They're, they are trying to, you know, get people used to the idea of quarantining themselves or, or being on lockdown and being just totally terrified uh, of this, uh, this illness, even though there's, there's really no merit to do so. I have seen some things that, that might uh, suggest that this could be uh, kind of a, what you would call a sleeper type agent, whereas uh, once you get infected with it, it sticks around with you and it causes your body to have further issues in the future. So this is this could be something uh, I, I've seen a little bit of scientific evidence uh, from the peer-reviewed journals and all of that stuff that they, they put out that could suggest that it may cause... Uh, people to have some immune suppression problems later on down the road. The uh, the virus itself is not so scary and bad if you do contract it for the most part, unless you're somebody that fits the uh, the, the profile that it highly affects, like somebody that's it's a little bit, uh, you know, more on in years and fits the, the specific genetic profile that it seems to adhere to the most, which would be, uh, you know, people of Asian uh, it, it seems it's not so scary to contract it in and of itself, but it may cause future health problems, uh, immune suppression later on from some of the things I've seen. So I don't know. Is this really something that I'm not sure? The fear porn's off the charts with it, though. That's I can sure. tell you that. It's it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, even going back and looking at all the other scares that they've had years past, it, it's not nearly as bad as what it is now like the way that they're pushing it like uh tonight now they're just saying uh, somebody in new york city uh had contracted it and was at grand central station so now they have about a thousand families on uh you know voluntary quarantine and they're shutting down schools and stuff i mean just uh about an hour before the show here uh, i was in contact with our buddy billy ray valentine who lives in new york and uh, at first, he hadn't even heard anything about it. But then uh, he was on his way to class because he, he goes to, you know, to school at night. So, and he told me he got to class, and they were talking about potentially closing the college down. He's not sure when. <laughs> so, I mean, people in New York are responding to this now, and it, it's it's like it's getting like ridiculous. It's every city. Uh, like I've seen something from almost every major city center across the, the United States now are, are all in fear. Uh, of this virus so they're definitely up to no good with it but the, i could tell you just from the fear porn they're pushing on the tv it's off the charts uh, i think the agenda is something more to the effect of getting people uh used to the medical tyranny that's coming and that they're planning and they're going to use this to try to implement so that that's what my take is on it uh you know take it for what you will We've got one more super chat to get to. Thank you so much. Manifest Magical for five American dollars. Skies getting assaulted. Sprayed again. Nothing new. Who else is beyond 
apathy, West Coast fucked. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I think we got the great Baldini in with us as Hello. well. Is that true? I am here. You are here. I Welcome, think I hear ladies and gentlemen, the great Baldini. And I can confirm the um, the spraying. I um, <clears throat> they have been going after it hard and heavy all day, just line after line after line. And um, you know, I uh, heard uh, heard you, Wayne, talking about the <clears throat> uh, the Corona uh, salt lime beer <clears throat> thing. Um, yeah, I was just at the uh, pharmacy picking up some uh, medications for my wife, and um, it was crazy. So they had signs everywhere saying all their masks um, were sold out, a hand sanitizer was sold out, like everything was sold out. Um, and I went to get some Kleenex, and the entire Kleenex, everything, like I took photographs of it, everything was um, gone. And then, um, you know, I went uh, all the um, almost all the bread fresh produce like people are acting like it's the apocalypse it's unbelievable wow yeah it's it's crazy isn't it like just the way that they're pushing this yeah i mean i i um insofar as i insofar as i can tell right now i mean it's hard to know these things for certain exactly <laughs> what's going on my my guess of course is that it's um it's not nearly what they're making it's it's what i can tell you this whatever they're saying it is it's not that right but um but the way they're going to play it I, I think mandatory vaccinations and the um the takeover um of the cdc or uh, the ability of the government to control people uh, through medical scares uh, is certainly there's the Overton window for you. Yeah, and uh, you know a lot of this stuff it does directly to relate to uh, what we're talking about tonight because I mean there there are certain Saturnian energies involved with this whole idea that they're pushing with this. So you Absolutely. know it's not really off topic. Yeah, it's not really off topic. So. But it is in the forefront of everyone's minds right now. So I think it is important that we do address that. Uh, I don't really honestly think uh, people need to be as worried and, you know, stuff as what the media is really portraying them to be. I really don't see that going on in the area I live. Like, I don't see people out in mass hysteria trying to buy up face masks and, you know, sanitizer and all that stuff the way that they're portraying on the TV. And, in fact, I I saw uh, a little uh, clip from from somebody that showed how they would think it was like a cell phone camera or something. It showed how a news crew was actually taking stuff off of the shelves in the supermarket yeah, to film uh, the, yeah, the empty shelves to try and generate this mass panic. So, I, I mean, it, it's well, I can, all I can tell you just the person, I can the, tell you that ridiculous. personally at the store that I was at, they, it was empty shelves and they were sold out of, um, uh, out of those items, the um, I'll look at the photograph right here. No masks, no hand sanitizer, no alcohol. Um, so all the like rubbing alcohol and witch hazel, um, and and I can confirm that firsthand. Um, and I'm friends with the pharmacist there, and he said it's it, it's bananas, right? He just he couldn't believe it. So um, you know whatever the news crews are doing to increase the level of fear, it's sort of one of those um, self fulfilling prophecies. We used to have the sort of the old joke, right, where they um, went on the news and said that there was going to be a shortage of toilet paper, and so in response to that, everybody went out and bought toilet paper, thus <laughs> creating a shortage of toilet paper. Um, and it was a, a self fulfilling prophecy. There's going to be a shortage prophecy. of my album, so buy my album. There you go. We're not going <laughs> to. We, we can't get a, a run on it. Um, we we can't get another pressing. So uh, oh, you might man. better get it now. There's only nine hundred left. 
Right? My books are in short supply, guys. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, so um, uh, whatever the the case may be, there if people um, are um, if the the news is faking, and in some cases, I can say that here in Seattle, uh, where there have been you know a couple of reported deaths, I, I'm not going to say uh, actually, but um, reported deaths, um, people are are literally going cuckoo. We have a large Asian population here, and they're um, that might be they're, why. Yeah, they're. Um, uh, used to wearing the masks and that sort of thing. So, um, and it's it's interesting that the um, the WHO WHO came out and, and said that they don't recommend wearing masks, um, they because there's no proven efficacy. And there's other medical reports saying um, lack of proving of efficacy does not equate to um, you know there not being any efficacy. It's it's just it um, so many. Um, conflicting reports, right? It just seems that for certain, one thing that's happening uh, is that they're creating confusion, right? Now, that's, right. that is one thing for certain is that there is confusion being created, and that is definitely um, a, a Saturn uh, thing. Oh, yeah, the chaos. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Because you got to have order, order out of chaos, right? John Flaherty, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. Good to see you here, my friend. I hope you're having an awesome day as always. I'm sure John's we'll ace, man. He's a good guy. John's a great dude. Yeah, man. All right. Did I catch up on the Super Chats before we go further in the Saturn thing? We make sure because I try so hard to do that right. All right. If I, By the way, if you guys have questions, by all means, put them in the chat. If, if I don't see them, my apologies. I, I try to follow it, but it's hard. I jump between there and DLive, and today I've got notes I've got to follow, too, because of the uh, depth of the information we're going to be covering. So I'll try to get to questions if uh, – if they if they are coming up, oh yes. I if anyone's uncertain, that is a screenshot I took of Wayne smiling earlier, so that uh, <laughs> we can at least show him. As a matter of fact, uh, Baldini, if you want to send me your little icon, I'd be happy to put that up as oh, well. Oh sure, and yeah, then we can, we can have you on screen too, and then everyone just gets to stare at 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 my, my <laughs> David Gilmore going on here. But uh, all right, sorry, so we need a Baldini icon. David Gilmore is the lead guitarist for Pink Floyd. <laughs> All right. There you go, showing your age again. I know, I know. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I wonder how many people actually yeah. do know that, and they're like, don't be an ass, Jason. I used to say I was dating myself, and then people thought that was like like literally going out That's on a date a with thing myself. Now. Like, what? No, no. <laughs> like, you're, no, no, that, this is a thing with crazy people in Hollywood that they're in relationships with themselves. I forget what stupid term they have for it. But uh, self attached, or um, yeah, something like that. I'm self centered. Hollywood ass. Oh dear, unbelievable. All right, <laughs> okay, let's see here. I want to take this too. All right, if you want to kick that over to me, uh, Baldini, I'll, yep. I'll put that up in a second. But I'm going to move on with the point here because we're already half an hour into the show. And good grief, that flew by. I guess we're goofing off too much. All right, so we're going to start with the Greek, even though it's not necessarily going to be the oldest, but. It's the easiest one and the stuff that most people are going to be familiar with. In Greek mythology, Cronus was the leader and youngest of the first generation of the Titans, the divine descendants of Uranus, the sky, and Gaia, the earth. There are some variations on the background story, however, but we're not going to go into those because we've done plenty of that with, uh, with Crow and you can find that stuff on your own. Kronos overthrew his father and ruled during the mythological Golden Age. And the Golden Age is something you'll see referenced a lot when it comes to Saturn, by the way. Until he was overthrown by his own son Zeus and imprisoned in Tartarus. Kronos was usually depicted with a harp 
scythe or a sickle, which was the instrument he used to castrate and depose Uranus's father. In Athens, on the twelfth day of the Attic month of Hecatombeon, a festival called Cronia was held in honor of Cronus to celebrate the harvest, suggesting that, as a result of his association with the virtuous Golden Age, Cronus continued to preside as a patron of the harvest. Cronus was also identified in classical antiquity with the Roman deity Saturn, which will be coming next. All right, gentlemen, anybody want to make comments on that? Yeah. Just that the uh, secrets of Saturn and Crow knows, so... Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> See what you did there. See what you did there. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Wayne. What's something serious? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll have to make it something serious then. Uh, anyway, uh, you could look and see how Cronus is associated with the harvest. Once again, this all ties to uh, the sky clock and and the timing uh, of uh, the seasons in this world we live in. So you could see. Um, how this relates to different aspects of nature. And once again, uh, this is basically one of the things that Saturn relates to is, is different aspects of nature. And now uh, some people would argue that Cronus and Saturn, uh, you know, the ideas behind them are, are completely different from one another, but they have been tied together through the, the Roman mythology. And as we've discussed before uh, on the Crow Triple Seven show, these uh, mythologies, especially your Greek mythology and the Romanized version of it, are the most important ones that we need to understand in the day and age we're in. Because these are the ones that the power structure utilizes the most in order to implement uh, their, their different agendas. So that's why it's important that we look at this stuff. But uh, you can see how it ties directly to the sky clock and, and, you know, the harvest idea. And there's a lot behind this whole harvest idea. Uh, this this could actually relate also back to, to uh, biblical ideas, like in the book of Revelation, too. So you could see how all these things kind of move forward through time, and the archetype is there. The underlying archetype is there for a lot of this stuff, and this uh, relates back to the whole Cronus idea. Uh, Cronus is also known as Father Time, and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of one of the limiting aspects of our reality that we have is time. Time is a valuable uh, commodity, and we have a lot of different time constraints in our reality. We only have so many years here in this place in order to figure it all out. So uh, when you look at that, that's it's kind of a limiting factor that is put upon us. And this is a Saturnian energy, okay? This limiting factor that's put on us. So if you view uh, the passing of time as this limiting factor, this is a Saturnian-type energy, Uh you know, the, the Kronos energy, the Kronos factor of it all. We only have a short amount of time here in this world, and uh, it's it's very cyclical. So this, this relates to cycles of time. So uh, even it could be even construed that the, the number zero, the symbol of the number zero, could be a symbol associated with Saturn because this, this is an all-containing loop. I mean, this has... This represents time, the loop of time, like all-encompassing of time. And you, we exist within that time space. So this is one of the limiting factors there. And that, that's one uh, of many symbols that represent Saturn in different ways that could be used for different things. So, so when you see the number zero, 
you know, you could think of, of Saturn, especially when you see the number zero, when it's the circle that has the little line going through it. If you see zero represented that way, that's Saturn. So you could keep that in mind as well. Also the uh, Ouroboros. Right. Absolutely, Baldini, the Ouroboros. The snake eating its tail, that also is a representation of Saturn. That's a symbol representing Saturn and this cyclical nature of time and how we're constrained within it and how it repeats itself. What I what I was not aware of until um, today doing some additional research um, on, on Saturn uh, imagery and symbology, um, I was unaware that um, the middle finger is called the finger of Saturn. There's one I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So what's according the to Palmist, though? like what's what's the what's the, what's the shtick? Well, according to Palmist and those who are palm readers, um, the uh, going all the way back to Indian palmistry, they call it the Madhyama, um, and uh, the Mount of Saturn is found at the base of the finger. Uh, so um, the index finger is the Apollo finger, and the uh, the middle finger is the the Saturn finger, and they draw all kinds of symbology in there about its length um, and its relation and uh, ratio to the hand. Uh, but there is a um, uh, a whole bunch of uh, information about uh, it being called the the finger of Saturn. So when you give somebody the uh, the middle finger, that's literally uh, a representation uh, of Saturn. Saying go ring uh, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's the nice way to put it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I did not know that in palmistry, they um, they relate uh, each of the fingers. They have the Jupiter finger, the you know the Saturn finger, the Apollo finger. Um, and uh, Saturn is, of course, longer than all the others, so it occupies a, a position of um, uh, superiority. Cool. Yeah, that's something I was unaware of. I need to look into palmistry a little more. I, I did not know that different planets were associated with different fingers. That's an interesting that concept in itself. Yeah, that's yeah. that's something that might, we might have to look a little more into because you, know, you can make a lot of different uh, inferences that way. Yeah, Marty would probably know a lot about that, I would think. I would he bet. seems pretty on top of stuff like that. Yeah, palmistry is an ancient art and something that um, I haven't spent a lot of time on, although it, it's uh, interesting to me and in that um, I think that there is a there there. Um, like most things uh, of this nature, um, I don't put an enormous amount of you know weight in it in terms of um, centering my life around it. But again, uh, like uh, uh, on the other side of this, people wouldn't have been doing it for thousands of years if there wasn't um, something to it. So um, I, I do... Um, I, I do suspect that there is a, you know, a there there, um, but there's a, a lot of inferences made uh, from palmistry, some of it, which is pretty, pretty interesting. But um, that is one that I did not know again until today is that they, they relate each of the fingers um, to these gods or to the planets uh, and that the Saturn finger is the middle finger. So interesting uh, corollary. All right. Let's get on to the Romans. Saturn or Saturnus was a major Roman god of agriculture, the harvest, liberation, and time. He held a sickle or a scythe in his left hand and a bundle of wheat in his right. His mother's name was Helen, or Hel, H-E-L. Uh, seems to be some parallels with that, actually, with, uh, with some of the Norse stuff. Saturn's reign was depicted as a golden age, once again, of peace and harmony, associating him as a god of wealth. The temple of Saturn in the Roman Forum is said to have housed the state treasury. In memory of the Golden Age, the Feast of Saturnalia was held every year during the time of the winter solstice. 
At this time, no war could be declared, slaves and masters ate at the same table, executions were postponed, and gifts were exchanged. That sounds a bit familiar, I'm sure, to just about everyone. Under Saturn's rule, humans enjoyed the spontaneous bounty of the earth without labor in a state of social equality. The revelries of Saturnalia were supposed to reflect the conditions of a temporary release from civilized constraint. Christians adopted aspects of the feast and renamed it Christmas. The Romans identified Saturn with the Greek Cronus, whose myths were adapted. In particular, Cronus's role in the genealogy of the Greek gods was transferred to Saturn. Two consorts represented different aspects of Saturn. The name of his wife, wife Ops, the Roman equivalent of the Greek Rhea, means wealth, abundance, and resources. Then is also his association with Lua, which means destruction and dissolution, a goddess who received the bloodied weapons of enemies destroyed in war. So you see a lot. You see that that whole uh, dichotomy thing, uh, good, bad, all that kind of thing, balance. But gentlemen, take it away. Well, so, take so it. did I? Did I um, hear you? Uh, did Did I hear properly that you said um, uh, that Saturnalia was um, representative of a time where they kind of threw off their their bounds uh, of standard um, behavior and kind of let their hair down a little bit? Is that uh, is that what I got there? That is totally kind of like kind of like Mardi Gras. So it's a kind of like Mardi Gras. Uh, Okay, uh, just I wanted to make sure I, I had that uh, had that correct. So uh, then the giving of gifts and that sort of thing developed out of it. So um, sure, S S uh, Santa uh, S Saturn Claus, got it. Okay, Saturn Claus, yes, <laughs> that is indeed the Saturn Claus right there. So yeah, that's when you look back, uh, a lot of these different uh, aspects of uh, the Christmas holiday season that that we we as Christians celebrate are derived directly from a lot of these older uh, religious or mythological ideas, the Saturnalia, uh, that kind of thing. This is where most of the traditions that we celebrate today come from. Sure, the, the uh, Yule log, the Christmas tree, the the candles on the absolutely. tree, the, all of that is um, directly derived um, from um, a, a series of... Um, you know, say pagan. Uh, that's a that's kind of a, a word that the Catholic Church trotted out uh, to to denigrate people. But um, from these different um, uh, ancient traditions uh, that were, um, you know, more um, well, <laughs> these you know polytheism, right? It's sort of based on these older gods and these older ideas. So um, they, it, it's odd how they both. Um, you know, make it a pariah, but also um, ingest it, right? And and um, kind of put their Christian overlay on it, like they did with most things. The the Catholic Church is it's a very interesting dichotomy that they've used. It sure is, and the the, uh, the Catholic Church, and particularly the the Vatican, uh, has done this uh, with so many different things. And they've adopted all of these uh, "quote unquote" pagan ideas. That's a loaded word, by the way. Yeah, pagan. Yes. I know that, that's uh, they, what I was trying to kind of stay away from. Yeah. Right? It's like that's the word that they chose, um, but it but right. it is used as an epithet, which is uh, unfortunate. Right. It is something that didn't really have any kind of a derogatory uh, nature behind it, and they they put a derogatory nature behind it, and that's not necessarily right, but especially considering that they poured it over all these different kind of ideas and, and you know, uh, 
concepts into the Catholic religion and rolled it all together into the Catholic religion. And this is carried through all different uh, aspects of uh, all the of Christian it. faith, like all, well, all the different denominations of uh, Christian yeah, faith. So. Well, m- much of it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, that's a different conversation, but I, I find that, um, you know, Christianity is presented in, is, is presented in Western Christian culture is very far removed from, from the teachings of Jesus. And, you know, like, again, I find that, you know, one of his primary messages was that, hey, you don't, you don't need anybody to come between you and your creator. And they, everybody said, hey, it's a great idea. Let's make a religion out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and make and, sure you go to church and give your money every week. Right. And then and let's get a priest. Confess your whom, sins to the Exactly. Preacher. Exactly. So that's a, it's a very different conversation conversation to have but it is a it is a fascinating topic that um it is um for, from again this is nothing against any catholics in particular but if you look at the catholic church the roman catholic church and the way that it's set up it is uh, exactly diametrically opposed uh from everything <laughs> from everything that was taught um from from jesus right so it's a it's a very um yeah, it's a very sinister thing. So it's um, there is few other things that that I've seen that are as direct one to one corollary with um, Luciferian teachings, and yet um, it's Luciferian but calls itself Christian. It's just it's mind boggling. So um, again, uh, not to not to take on anybody's uh, belief system or, or religion, but um, if you look at it from a uh, objective perspective, um, you you could you can't help but see the corollaries there. Oh, definitely. I agree with you 100%. And I do consider myself a Christian. So, I, I mean, and, and this is something that a lot of Christians take issue with, but you you have to, when you're presented with these facts, this is where a lot of this stuff came from. You have to understand uh, ancient peoples, uh, before the, the rise of Christianity itself, there were a lot of different uh, concepts and stuff uh, that were presented to early mankind and uh, these were their images of God and, and such, and the way worship worked. Uh, these were all ideas that carried forward through many different traditions. And uh, when you go back and you look at uh, the advent of Christianity, how that all came about and stuff, if you look at just purely uh, from the standpoint of the teachings of Jesus, uh, a lot of this stuff that we, we have carried forward into the modern age uh, with what you said, like with Western Christianity and stuff, it, it just doesn't add up to like uh, what what Jesus had really taught, and sure. it's become more of a control system than anything. So that that's what's really behind any organized religion, in my view. Pretty much, and and you you know when you put a put it into into cultural context, right? Is that um, when yeah. the when the Romans got a hold of it, right? They they turned it uh, into a. Um, you know, in, into a, a like a senate, right? So it became, uh, it became that. And then, uh, as you as you move forward, every every culture kind of takes a hold of it and turns it into something else. So you got, you know, the Romans um, turn turn it into a, a senate, uh, and um, when you come into Western culture, we turn it into a business. <laughs> Right. And so you end up with televangelists. Right. So um, it is it becomes uh, culturalized and just a new um, a new form laid on top of it. Um, and again, totally ignores what the original teachings were. Again, not to get sidetracked, but but one of the things that I see directly in um, the the Saturn um uh, iconography uh, from start to finish is that I, I do draw a direct corollary between Saturn and um Santa and Satan, if you want to call that the Luciferian thing, there does seem to be direct one-to-one corollaries throughout. Um, and so uh, the way that the Saturn um, 
mythos is told uh, does seem to be sort of the Prometheus tale. Again, it's told in many, many ways of the the turned upside down story of um, uh, I brought you um, wisdom and knowledge and I got in trouble for that. Right. So um, that's that's the that's the upside down story, the way the way that I see it. So um, but as I look at the at the Saturn symbology, especially with the black cube of Saturn, you can directly one to one correlate that with the uh, the black cube of um, uh, of Muslims. Uh, you know, the um, <laughs> I'm having I have a brain slip. What's Cabestone. that called? There you go. The cobblestone. Um, exactly. So, um, but then you take the um, six-sided star of, uh, of Judaism and unfold it, and it's exactly the same thing, right? So, um, as well as the cap and mortar, um, you have all of these things that are directly correlated to one another, and they just simply, um, it's an overlay that they lay on top of it. Absolutely. It's all the same, only the names are changed. Only, right, Somebody to protect the not, the not innocent, right? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's it is it's one of those things where uh, there are a lot of direct uh, corollaries between all these different uh, mythical iconographies. Like uh, like you said, you related it back to the whole concept of of Satan or uh, you know that kind of thing or the Promethean tale, and uh, it all equates together the whole Saturnian thing. And you can even uh, trace this back even in the Bible. There's a lot of uh, different correlations between Saturn and uh, even Prometheus, whatever you want to call it. I mean, like all, all of these things, all these mythologies basically are telling this, the same tales. But in the Bible, you could tie all this back to a guy named Nimrod. Right. Uh, even, even, the name, even the name of uh, Saturn's wife in, in the Greek there, uh, Rhea. Uh, her name was Rhea. Uh, Nimrod's wife was named Rhea too, and and uh, also additionally to that, if people want to actually lo look at this, because this is like if you're really interested in the old myths and and how they tie uh, to biblical studies or or things like that, if you look back at, at the story of Nimrod and Rhea, Nimrod was also called Baal Hazor or the Lord of Fortresses. So, uh, and this relates directly to the idea that uh, he built cities with with massive walls around them, and and this was uh, the very beginnings of our modern civilization. These were the very first cities and city states. So, like all this stuff, all relates back, and this ties back. This is the guy that that actually was uh, directly responsible for organizing the people to build the Tower of Babel, too, in the biblical story. So, like all these things relate together, and it's it's interesting how. A lot of it ties back to this Saturnian idea or these Saturnian energies, per se. And I think you can relate um, Nimrod to Gilgamesh as well. I think that all it's all pretty um, pretty corollary. Oh yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. You know what? I think we're going to have to do a part two to this because we aren't getting anywhere on the notes, and we haven't even barely scratched <laughs> the surface here. But that's all right. Uh, yeah. That's all right. We're, we're delivering information, and hopefully Sorry, everybody is so. enjoying the conversation. Uh, I definitely see a whole bunch of chatting going on. But uh, let's move on to our next mythological figure that's actually older, I do believe, than any of the Greek or the Roman characters, and that is the character of El. E-L. El is the equivalent to the Hurrian god Kumarbi and the Greek god Cronus. He was the chief deity of the West Semites of ancient Near East and Northeast Africa. The ancient Semitic religion, including Canaanite religion, was strongly influenced by Mesopotamian and Egyptian mythology. So those go back even further. 
and do keep in mind, by the way, I probably should have said this right off the bat, that this is all being pulled from mainstream sources, and then I just try and cross-reference them to make sure that the information's uh, correlating to whatever's available. It could be totally wrong. It could be all bullshit and made-up lies. I have no idea. But as Crow and I, uh, Crow and I always say, we just do the best we can with what we've got to work with, and this is what I'm presenting to you in the best manner possible. But anyway, sure. I got, I get some similar research, right. That's, that's directly relating, um, the Baal Haman, right. Um, Carthaginian, they're calling it to Yahweh and they're, they're uh, saying it's the same guy. Well, I'm about <laughs> right? to get and, there actually. Yeah. And in the, the, the old Testament would, uh, would differ with that directly. Right. So, so it's interesting how they put those, how, um, different sources will, will represent them differently. Anyway, go ahead. This can mean that the ancient origins of Judaism could come from El, and that's what you basically just said. El was usually portrayed as an elderly man with wings and a long beard. Hmm. He was known as Toru El, or the Bull El, or the Bull God. The bull was symbolic of El, as well as Baal Hadad, the son of the Dagon God, or the Fish God, uh, the Pope's hat, by the way, the mitre, and they wore bullhorns the on hat. their addresses. This can also tie in with the constellation Taurus, the bull, of course. Assumedly, these events were taking place in the age of Taurus. And I didn't completely break these down, but these different ages did seem to correlate to their gods differently. And it's, of course, interesting to note that the further back in time you go, you get to the age of Leo. And that is listed in numerous sources as the Golden Age. So is this the golden age of Saturn that they were talking about under the age of Leo? I don't know, and I don't know how we'd prove that. Perhaps one of you gentlemen have something to chime in about that, but let me get through the rest of this point first. Sure. Continuing to the Canaanites, El appears to have been the supreme god, the creator of all creatures, father of mankind, and the head of the pantheon, the Grand Poobah, as it were. He was called creator, possessor of heaven and earth, the highest judge and authority in all divine matters in human affairs. His sons, Hadab, Yam, and Mat, each share similar attributes to the Greco-Roman gods, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, respectively. El is continually identified with the god Yahweh. In the Bible, it is Yahweh who delivered Israel from Egypt and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Yahweh revealed himself to Israel as the Lord, prohibiting idols and the worship of other gods. It seems a strong likelihood that the God of the Jews has, had evolved from the Canaanite El. Again, that's just conjecture, but it does seem to be as the, well, however much time, centuries, I guess we could say, wore on, things just sort of transferred one to the next. But, all right, who wants to run with it? Oh, man, this is just going to be like just running with scissors. Uh, there, there's a lot to go with here. I'm going to fumble. Uh, fumble that. That's bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, L is uh, basically uh, when you, you go back and you look through uh, uh, like philosophy and uh, if you look back at, uh, you know, uh, the Christian sources and stuff, L is basically a title that they give for God. It's synonymous with like the word Lord. Uh, so it, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's a very short word, first of all. And uh, I think. The reason for this is because I think there's something original to the idea. Like it's it's like one of the original war words for God within 
all languages uh, because it's a, basically it's a primary sound. And this, this relates back to the whole idea of there being a single language uh, back in ancient antiquity. So uh, when, when you look at that, uh, and like you said, this this is kind of uh, one of the stories that, that predates most of the other mythologies and stuff like that. It all relates to the same basic figure or figures moving forward with just a different twist on it. Uh, but I think there's something just kind of primordial about the name L, E-L. It, it just seems to me there might be something... Uh, to that as, as being like a tie to original language of some sort. And that's that's just a feeling I get. I mean, I have nothing to back that. That's total conjecture. But uh, I've studied uh, Christian theology uh, pretty in-depth, and uh, it, it always goes back. There's a couple different terms that are used frequently uh, throughout the Bible and, and a lot of the, uh, the biblical accounts and stuff to describe God, and El is one of those terms. Uh, also, like El Shaddai, uh, it's a descriptive term. Um, so it, it's one of those things where it could tie back, uh, rightly so, to the whole Saturnian idea again. And, you know, that's not to say, like, all the Saturnian energies and ideas are are bad or good. You know what I mean? There's that duality there. And that's the thing that gets confusing when you go back and look at some of these ideas through the, the lens of, of time, just looking back at these different stories and seeing these different aspects of things. But uh, is it a common source? I think it is. Now, was it twisted and misconstrued in a lot of ways and, and taken a lot of different directions through different religious ideologies and mythologies? I think that's also the case, too. And I think this also de- ties directly back to the whole uh, confusing of languages described in the, the whole Tower of Babel story. I think there may have actually been something to that. Uh, I think there was an original language. I, I see evidence of that. What exactly that language was, who knows? I, I can't say. Uh, but it, it seems to me that when you follow this stuff back to some of the earliest sources you could find, you, you come across more simplified words and terms like the term L uh, defining God. So, like, you know, it looks to me like this could be one of the earliest accounts that we have of these different Saturnian principles. Yeah, so um, I, I agree with you. You, you said, um, Wayne, that you could kind of only go on your feeling. There, there is um, a substantial amount of um, documentation uh, that points to uh, not only there being a, uh, a singular um uh, a singular or a source language uh, from which m- most uh, of uh, even modern language comes, but certainly the ancient languages all seem to have a singular source and use um, the, the etymologies often go together. Uh, L d- definitely does come out as being um, a word of um, not just a title, but usually spoken in reverence or um, uh, associated with a deity. Uh, so where you could say Lord might be something um, uh, you might term a king. Um, L was typically reserved for some sort of supernatural or, or deity. Um, it, but it uh, it is difficult to know. And, and I think um, this is one of those things where people kind of have to use their own discernment because there's a lot of stories told from a, about a, a variety of different angles, right? Uh, it does appear from the research that I've done that um, there are stories um, going, you know, from the original um, uh, creation stories, if you want to say that, or origin stories uh, that uh, combine or, or uh, are corollary to one another uh, that 
you know, many people would say predate um, the Genesis story is written by uh, presumably Moses um, or whoever you want to assign that to, but understand that that was written later. It was most of these were oral traditions um, going way back. Uh, and for a long time, oral traditions were considered sacred to the point that they were not allowed to be written down. Um, and so you're going to find that these stories and traditions go way back, and at some point, um, you know, they're going to get a little bit mangled, a little bit tortured, and somebody's going to take credit for it. So when you get into the idea of syncretism uh, and that one predated the other or that they're all the same thing, uh, I look at it a little bit differently. And, and certainly, if there is uh, an attempt by um, someone to take credit where credit's not due, let's put it that way, or, or um, if uh, if the story is, is has any merit to it uh, of um, the the Saturn or um, a Luciferian or um, set character, whichever one that you want to go with there, um, who uh, makes it his goal uh, to usurp or overthrow the Most High and take his place, uh, it certainly would stand to reason that he would try to um, uh, take that name L for himself. Right, uh, so Baal uh, as well. So uh, I, again, th- there's so many different interpretations of it and and so many academics are going to take such different takes on it and claim to be right um, that, I, that I think that um, it, it's going to be difficult to stick your fork in the ground and say this is absolutely true. There, there's so much different evidence from so many different angles uh, that, that, again, this is where sort of discernment comes in. Um, you have to sort of d- decide for yourself based upon the preponderance of evidence um, where you're going to land on this. Right? And from my perspective, I usually come down with uh, a very solid i'm not really sure (laughs) it's it's because it's difficult to prove that may seem wishy-washy but i I always stay open to new information um and i have the way that i read it right now the way that it looks and feels right to me uh, based again upon the preponderance of evidence but um i would have a difficult position trying to convince anybody of those views i I always try to just explain rather than you know convince or coerce um because i think other people are going to take it the way they want but um but i do uh you're absolutely right in that um l comes off as a title it's been um long done in the hebrew tradition that l should die um and these other uh, names are are given to him as a uh, different aspects of the character of the creator uh and the the same l has been used in uh, a variety of different uh, traditions so um yeah again this uh, one of them is going to relate to to saturn as well um, i actually have a so, note for that that's my last point on l uh, to t- kind of tie up everything you guys just threw out there in Northwest Semitic use, El was both a generic word for any god and the special name or title of a particular god who was distinguished from other gods as being the god, quote unquote. El right. is listed at the head of many pantheons. In some Canaanite in Ugaritic sources, El played a role as father of the gods or of creation. So the basic breakdown of that is I think it may have originally been a, a singular entity and then it got used borrowed uh, yeah yeah it, it over time i think it got broken down and used in other ways for instance how many names of angels end in l and and i mean we could rattle off a, a zillion things with that so that's or just something part to consider of it, right there. yep yeah and even in fact you can use like el electricity right um elemental Elites, uh, these things yeah any of that elevate right. or elevate uh, right. election like all these things uh, all relate to it. we always say 
They do have meaning, and and uh, the root word, uh, the roots of those words, uh, definitely have a, a foundation. In um, again, if you look at it really closely, as something related to or created by, um, you know, God, if you want to put it that way. So, um, you know, my again, my position is that uh, the further back you can find uh, solid evidence for, the closer you're going to get to the truth. All right, Saturn in Hebrew, and here we're going to start getting into some other stuff that. Uh, a lot of folks kind of seem to skip over. The uh, if I'm going to pronounce this right, I can't say I'm great at Hebrew. Shabbatai, meaning Shabbat, is, yeah. Shabbat, Shabbat, or Sabbath, uh, yeah. Well, Sabbath. All those things coincide. Sabbath and all that. So, sure. the meaning is the restful one, whose name is parallel to that of the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the day of rest. Esoterically, Saturn embodies time. In the midst of time's passage, Saturn remains still and silent, drawing all endeavors to a close. And remember, this is coming from a rabbinical point of view, meaning ancient Judaism. Right, and a lot of the rabbinical ideas are directly derived from Saturnian ideas as well. Uh, you, you could see that, I mean, just, just looking through uh, a lot of the literature. Uh, and once again, it embodies time itself. This is what it's talking about, the passage of time. Uh, this is the, one of the constraining aspects of our reality is is time. And, uh, you know, it says Saturn remains still and silent, drawing all endeavors to a close. And that tells you that all things in this world have an end. So, uh, you know, even if there's a golden age or if there's a, an age like we're living in now where it's turbulent times, there will be an end to these things. All, all, all these things will see their end. Uh, and, you know, a new cycle will start. So, you know, when you, you look at that, that that's the Saturnian idea. And it's been ported over into rabbinical teachings as well. So this, this moves forward into uh, Judaism and different aspects of Judaism. Uh, and one of the main ones that really crosses over with this, that really kind of pulls forward a lot more of the Saturnian ideas, is the, the Kabbalah ideas, the Kabbalistic ideas. Because, uh, you know, the Judaistic uh, Kabbalah, is uh, a whole different thing in and of itself from what much of the religion is considered to be. And uh, a lot of people in positions of power in this world and, you know, people that are quote-unquote famous or whatever you want to call them, uh, they, they study the Kabbalah and the uh, the Jewish Kabbalah. So this this is something that imparts a lot of different information carried over from an earlier time. And in a lot of ways, it, it misuses this information uh, in a lot of the same ways like that the uh, alchemical ideas are misused. And we can see this all around us. But I think that's why it's kind of important that we look at these ideas with an open mind and understand that uh, it's, it's the intent that's put behind utilizing these ideas that's the important part because some of these things in and of themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing and can be used for a lot of good. But uh, it, by and large, the ones that know about these ideas and utilize them in the world today do not have good intention for the vast majority of the population. So that's why I think it now more than ever, it's important to look at this stuff and kind of bring it to the forefront of thought rather than let it reside within these secretive groups and, uh, you know, these, these secret societies that exist. All right. 
let's take a moment to start discussing Saturn's Golden Age. And this is the age that man later called the Age of Kronos, or Saturn, of course, and was remembered with nostalgia as an age of bliss. References to the Age of Kronos in the ancient lore are very numerous, and I've got several of them I'm going to break down here shortly. Does anyone have any comments they want to make on that, or do you want me to move forward? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and move forward. Hesiod tells of a golden race of mortal men who lived in the time of Kronos when he was reigning in heaven, and they lived like gods, without sorrow of heart, remote and free from toil. Miserable age rested not on them. The fruitful earth unforced bear fruit. Excuse me. The fruitful earth unforced bear them fruit abundantly and without stint. They dwelt in ease and peace upon their lands with many good things. So, I don't know when these people were, were writing if they were recounting a mythological time or if indeed there were some sort of evidence left behind that suggested that these things really occurred. But uh, go ahead, whoever wants to take it. Oh, this is your uh, archetype of the Garden of Eden right here. This this is what this is. The Age of Innocence, uh, the Golden Age, uh, the age where resources were plenty and you know, you, man didn't have to work uh, to get these resources. He didn't have to work the earth to get his food. Uh, this is a time before uh, what they would term the, the fall of man uh, and the idea of sin. So, like, this, this uh, from a Christian theological point of view, is, is the, the time of the Garden of Eden. Okay, this is the paradise where uh, there was no toil or work or, uh, you know, no sorrow of heart, anything like that. This was the, a true golden age, a, a true paradise, uh, an age of innocence. But this was also uh, a time when man didn't have uh, a lot of uh, the, the quote-unquote knowledge or uh, primordial knowing uh, and this is this is going back to mystery school ideas, okay? Because this is what they're they're talking about. This is before man actually had an original thought, and this is the way that they they frame it within the mystery school ideologies. So uh, this is a time when man just existed as another animal on the earth, didn't really have consciousness per se, didn't have uh, you know the the consciousness. Uh, that we think of and, and see today didn't have the divine spark. Now, was this an actual time that existed? I don't know. I, I mean, no one could really say for sure. Uh, is it more allegory? Uh, it, it's it's very possible it could be something that's more allegorical than you know based on any type of a uh, evidence of fact because this is not something we could prove or disprove outright. So. Uh, it's one of those things that you take it upon faith uh, to think that there was a time before man had this divine spark or consciousness. Now, is that so? I, I don't know, because it's it's hard to say. The evidence we see before us today would indicate that uh, without this consciousness or divine spark, there really would be nothing. Uh, you know, there, there would be nothing. Like, this physical existence would not be here based upon just different hermetic ideas and stuff that we see, uh, we, we wouldn't really understand uh, the reality we live in. It, it wouldn't be... It, it's one of those things, it's really hard to describe in words 
what we're talking about here. This would be like a, an, a state of existence that's really kind of a, a non-existence in a way because, you know, nothing would change. There would be no no change, uh, indicating that there's no sorrow of heart and no toil or anything like that, indicates that this this is a realm that exists outside the bounds of time or outside the Saturnian energy. So this this is something, a concept that's really hard for us to grasp because this is the only state we've ever existed in here, is, is in these constraints of time. And to understand uh, a, a place or an idea that's not bound by these constraints of time uh, it's it's really kind of hard to wrap your brain around. So it, that's one of those things where could this be why the idea of uh, Kronos or, or Saturn is is tied directly to time? Because this golden age existed when Saturn ruled, but when Saturn fell from from rule and Zeus took over the reins, then time became a restraining factor, and and you know mankind was was bound by this idea. I don't know. These are all things we, we really need to ponder. But, I mean, these are the type of Saturnian ideas that are out there. And these are the kind of things that are taught within the mystery school ideologies and, and the framework of the secret societies and stuff. And, you know, how they directly tie back uh, to uh, different theologies and, like, you know, Christian religion, Christian theology, uh, all the different mythologies and, and different... Uh, of the uh, the major religions within the world, they they all have some type of these different ideas or archetypes, and and it all relates back to a very similar thing. Uh, and I think once again, this is one of those things where it relates back to an original idea, but uh, you know, time, the distance, the you know, the constraints of time and distance have made it impossible for us to really uh, parse out the root of where all this stuff came from or all these uh, art ideas or archetypes came from. So it's one of those things where it, we just ponder about it, but at the same time we have to acknowledge that in the day and age we're in, we're bound by these constraints of time, whereas there may have existed a quote-unquote age that did not have these constraints of time upon it. So that's, you know, that ties back to the idea of uh, living longer lifespans back in old ancient times and, you know, the actual idea of immortality before the fall of man. So when you look at it from that vantage point, I mean, you could see how the Saturnian archetype just kind of envelops this whole thing. It, it, it's all bound in the idea of time and existing within time or outside of time. Mm. So... It's it's an interesting thing to wrap your brain around. Um, can, can I present a, a, a different viewpoint? Absolutely. That's why we're here, man. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, re, re, okay, so relating the idea back to um, – uh, so we have the Saturnian months or the the golden age, right, of Saturn, um, and you related that to the time of the uh, in the Garden uh, of Eden, kind of relating it to that b before there was you know toil and and sadness that sort of stuff, um, and, and so uh, but also with the idea of, uh, without the divine spark and that um, man was um, not much more than a beast uh, without the divine spark, and again this goes back to the idea of um, that. Uh, um, Prometheus brought the, the spark of fire to give the man uh, the spark of intelligence, and that's what he took. Uh, and to me, this relates directly to um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And to, to me, that's why it's the um, it becomes sort of a deception. And what I, where I um, relate 
um, the golden age to is probably, again, just a, a different reading of uh, perhaps some of the same information, but probably um, what I would term the antediluvian uh, age, which is uh, post what uh, the Genesis fall, post um, Genesis 3, um, where, where the fall is, but prior to the flood. So uh, this would have been an age uh, entirely ruled by, this, is, this would be uh, in the book of Enoch, um, the uh, incursion of the watchers where the sons of God came in and had um, relations with women and had um, w- what we would you know call either the Anunnaki or um, uh, the uh, Nephilim, right? Uh, and they were uh, this would be considered uh, by um, Saturn, Kronos, if if he is indeed the same character and same personality, this would be considered to him uh, a golden age in which uh, everything um, there, there was. Uh, what we would consider now uh, magic, right? It was everything worked really well because, again, it was in the post uh, or the pre-flood world where things got really broken really badly. And so, for for that character, that would have been uh, a golden age where he ruled without restraint uh, and was able to manifest w- without any um, real fail uh, that we see now. So, um, uh, it, it is easy to see that the, the construct and how it um, uh, how that story would be related or told in a mystery school um, that mankind had no um, creativity. He had no self-awareness or, or was not an individual before being given that um, w- with the, you know, uh, what we would call the forbidden fruit or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, but uh, again, I, I see that as part of a, um, a different way of, of telling the tale, um, but that golden age would have been that period Um you know, again, antediluvian, where uh, he ruled without restraint, uh, and then. Um, uh, but I do think that that part of time is accurate. That if we if we perceive um, the material limits of mankind, that, that man is um, uh, kind of, uh, as C.S. Lewis called it, sort of, um, he's part beast and part spirit, right? Uh, and that we are bound within the limits of the fourth dimension of time. Uh, that um, these spirit beings would not be uh, bound by it, except that when you you, uh, again, if you go to back to the Enochian writings, that sort of thing, that they were cast down out of heaven. There was no place um, found for him in heaven anymore, so he was cast to the earth, and he became then limited by time and uh, perceived himself as to be the lord and master of it, of this domain. So he would be master of time. So, I mean, again, it's a it's a different, um, a different look at the same story, but um, – uh, again, just I guess to, to say that there are different ways of looking at the same things, but that's uh, a little bit different how I how I see it versus what the mystery schools teach. Because uh, from my perspective, they're always going to take an antagonistic view uh, toward the creator. Absolutely, and that that all ties into the uh, dualistic nature of things, and once again, uh, the relating of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because that that's when dualism and duality was first introduced into the creation, was uh, with uh, the the eating of the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and this exactly. this is an allegory but i mean this denotes to you up until that point uh, man whatever he was at that point had no concept of duality he was only uh you know a self-absorbed being he didn't understand uh you know the way that this system operates. And once again, this is another thing that ties back to the constraints of time. Duality is also a constraint uh, of of the whole time narrative or the whole Saturnian idea. Duality, because we cannot exist without this duality. Uh, the world would not operate how it does because you, you have to have opposites in order for there to actually be anything to manifest. So you, because you, you can't have uh, darkness 
without light. You would not know one from the other. So these things are, you know, inherently dualistic by nature. And uh, the mystery schools, the way they teach it, like you said, it really is antagonistic of, of anything, uh, you know, that I, I would term uh, as Christian teaching or anything or Christian theological uh, thinking. It, it's very antagonistic of that, but it, it's done like that on purpose. Uh, and it's not to say that these ideas don't have merit, because they, they do have some merit to them, but it's just a matter of, uh, you know, interpretation, how how you see it and sure. uh, where, and where you I, fall on that line. And no lie would be believable if it didn't have some um, some portion of some truth. Some kernel of truth, right. Exactly. Absolutely. I, but as I often say, right, a, a gallon of water uh, and a drop of poison is still poison, right? So. Yep. <laughs> right. So, again, this is where, you know, good discernment comes in. So, again, I, I leave it to, to everybody to kind of figure it out on their own. All I can do is, um, you know, try to shed some light on it. And, and again, well, I land uh, always in a place of I'm not really sure. Right? I, I don't know. Um, I have ideas and I have suspicions and hypothesis and I have a way that I see it. Uh, but far be it for me to stick uh, again to, to stick the fork down and say this is it. Right, this is absolutely uh, truth because I don't know. Right, and I, I'm the same place as you. I, I don't know what the absolute truth is, but I think it's important just to let people know uh, what it is that these people in positions of power, what it is that they believe and they're taught through these mystery school teachings and and through these secret societies. Because yeah, there is a lot to this, be there is a lot to be discovered there for absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you understand right. what they what what they believe, right, it helps shed light on uh, what's going on, right? So, because uh, you know, I can certainly say that when I try to explain some of the stuff to people, they go, "Oh, that's crazy!" And go, "You know what? It's not what I believe; it's what they believe, right?" right. And that's that's, that's empirically proven. So it doesn't it doesn't uh, matter what what I think. What's happening is a result of what they think, because I don't have any real influence or control of what happens in the world, but they certainly do, and this is what they believe. So when it comes into you know the cybernetics or the transgender or any of these things, it's certainly happening, um, and it's not a matter of that I'm making it up. It's a matter of it's out there, and here's why: is because they believe right. it. <laughs> right? And 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 here's the uh, occult ancient information that they use to bring these things about and why they're bringing them about. Exactly, and that, that's, yeah. that's why I think is, is, you know, an important mandate for me to uh, expose this stuff to people so that they can see, okay, well, this is what's going on. This is why it's going on because the people that are in charge of it believe X, Y, Z. Uh, I don't necessarily agree uh, with any of these mystery school teachings. Uh, like I said, there, there is some value to be derived from them because there is that kernel of truth in there that you you could pick out of these things but uh, at at the end of the day when it comes down to it like these these ideas and concepts are being used against uh the public at large sure. and that's I, I stand on the opposite side of that i want people to be aware this is going on and understand exactly how they're being manipulated and and where this stuff comes from and yeah. uh why they do the things they do, and if they have a better understanding of that, if you if you know uh, your enemy and understand your enemy, uh, you know you, you don't walk onto a battlefield without a game plan, without knowing who your enemy is or what his tactics are. Yep, know your enemy, that's for sure. Unless you're Disney writing the new Star Wars trilogy, ha! Oh God, right. <laughs> um, then you don't things... give a crap about making money, that's for sure. Right. A couple of things from chat. Uh, Seven Raven Wolf asked about um, my uh, my moniker, that uh, logo. No, actually, I did that um, several years before the John Lennon bus ever came out. So, uh, if anything, he copied me. And then um, Eric. <laughs> 
<laughs> Eric Julian asked, um, Baldini, uh, what are you before doing, the show, copying my logo. That's not my really logo. nice. It's not, it's not nice I'm at all. got a sick Ringo on you. I'll sue you. Um, and then uh, Eric Dulayan asked about the uh, uh, the Awakening project that I'm working on. Yeah, we can touch on that before the end. Um, so I uh, was supposed to have a podcast uploaded um, last Sunday, and I had some technical issues. I, I had some clips in there that YouTube decided they didn't want me to upload, so I'm having to rebuild the whole thing. It's really a pain in the butt. Um, but uh, that really – difficulties, please Technical difficulties. Please stand by. Um, so I apologize uh, for that. I'm trying to get it done this week, and I just haven't just a major buttload of stuff to do at at my other my you know work for for money um so it's kind of keeping me um uh, tight on that but uh we'll, we'll try to get it up again uh see if i can get it done by this weekend just to re have to re-edit everything from the start and it's over an hour long but but really all most of your questions will be answered there in terms of what's happening it's still ongoing um and if people want to um continue to send information i'm still um uh, gathering stuff from there now uh, there's over 200 people that are involved and um we probably will get even more um and uh, w there's a again don't want to get too deep into it right now um, because I want all the information laid out um, uh, really uh, right now I'm working on it as a double blind study and so if I really release all the information it won't be that but there's a couple of things that I can share with you which um, which I found really interesting is that one um, uh, all the stories that came in are great like uh, some of them just really touched me one of the things that that um, was unexpected um, I probably should have gathered it I should have probably should have anticipated it but I didn't is that um, one of the one of the uh, factors that we see over and over again with uh, people waking up is that somehow they ended up with time to do it. It requires an, um, uh, an immense amount of time to really dig into it and study. Uh, and so whether that uh, became being injured in some way and, and um, not working or they lost a job or there was a major life change or something caused them to, to spend time on it, uh, that seems to be a primary factor with a, a large number of people, um, is that they uh, found themselves suddenly with time or or the interest uh, to spend time looking into these things, and that made a profound difference for many people. So um, that's one aspect, but um, definitely um, stay tuned for, for that. Um, I can, uh, before we get done, I'll spam the uh, link to um, uh, to the um, Unintended Consequences um, YouTube uh, channel. You just subscribe to that and then you'll um you'll get notification when i actually do, do get that podcast up um it's fairly comprehensive at least the first one and then thereafter um i probably will just do live streams like this because it uh, prevents the um, the issues of uh, getting blocked by youtube for for little clips so now the email is i'm going to type it right now unintended dot dot consequences oh three, three. just, just three. three yep at what gmail what dot communist I mean, unintended uh, at consequences three at gmail.com. Yeah. Let me type that out properly. Unintended dot consequences. I think I got it right. There's cook in my eye. My yeah. eyes keep fuzzing out. All right. Hopefully I got that right. Okay. So anyway, I assume you're still collecting information and would be more than happy to keep adding to the, uh, the sum total of knowledge, right? Yes, in fact, I, I would. I mean, I, I've got the um, the way I'm aggregating the data set up in kind of a cycle now, so um, I don't have to reinvent it every time a new email comes in. Um, so when email me, and some people have questions, what do you actually need, blah, blah, blah. So I just tell them again. Um, the, the easiest things to start off with. 
Yeah, it's Myers, um, a recent Myers-Briggs uh, personality assessment, um, your date of birth and city, and then um, a brief summary of, um, of sort of your journey. What got you into it? Um, what were kind of the, the aspects? Um, some background of your family history is is great. Um, uh, what One of the things that I take from it without telling you too much about what to write is that um, there, are, there are some things that I gain uh, and glean from the way in which you put things in order and what you prioritize. So that's a part of it. Um, um, so just be as genuine and transparent and authentic as you can. Um, just tell me about your experience, your journey, how it's affected you, um, that sort of thing. And um, and we'll just carry on a conversation and usually I'll follow up uh, with you thereafter. So um, anyway, appreciate that. All Thanks right. Thanks for uh, The Golden Age, more writings on that. Ovid in the sixth book of the Metamorphoses. In the beginning was the Golden Age, when men of their own accord, without threat of punishment, without laws, maintained good faith and did what was right. The earth itself, without compulsion, untouched by the hoe, unfurrowed by any share, produced all things spontaneously. It was a season of everlasting spring. Once again, there's the correlation to the whole idea of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't think we need to. Right. I don't think we really need to, to ramble on much more about that. I think we we actually touched on it in the the you know the the previous uh, bullet point there. So uh, you know I, I think we're running low on time, so we might want to just keep on moving down with the notes. Okay. Well, we got half an hour and three more points. So. Rabbinical sources recount that men lived under very favorable conditions before the deluge, and that these contributed to their sinfulness. To quote, they knew neither toil nor care, and as a consequence of their extraordinary prosperity, they grew insolent. Doesn't that sound familiar, like Western <laughs> society today? <laughs> Honestly, uh, you're talking about... Uh, there's that whole arrested development idea right there in a nutshell. If you don't, uh, you don't have any, any care or responsibility or toil or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, and everything's provided for you. That's like a constant state of childhood, which once again, ties back to this whole idea of an age of innocence. So, uh, you know, and we're looking today at, uh, another, uh, Saturnian-derived idea of uh, what's called arrested development, like I had just mentioned. And this is the idea of putting people in a, a very childlike state of mind all the time. And society today is, is hardcore into that idea. Hollywood pushes it. Uh, this is why our, our television programming, and that's an important term there, programming, and, and everything that comes out as entertainment is kind of uh, very low-minded and, and geared towards this. It's supposed to uh, keep the average adult mind in a perpetual state of, of being around uh, the emotional age of 12. So this this is what this is designed to do. And this is not me making this stuff up, okay? This is covered in, you know, different Tavistock sources and things like that. This is what they do. It's called arrested development. They want to keep yep. people in a, a very childlike state so that they're dependent upon, uh, say, government or big brother, uh, per se, to provide all their needs. And, uh, you know, and, and they could be used by these different governments or, or you know, agencies of such uh, for whatever 
they see fit to do. It's it's a, a labor force, but uh, kept in a, a constant slave-like state. Sure, uh, you're, you're subservient. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're subservient to the father figure, the father figure being government or, or whatever other entity uh, decides, you know, what your fate is and, you know, what your portion is. And that's that's something that's done purposely uh, in this different uh, entertainment type fields and things like that. Even news media, any type of media at all, all this stuff is designed to keep your mind in that state. Of the rings of Saturn, yeah. That's interesting. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's the, <laughs> that's the type of hat I'm picturing right now. Yeah, it's the... Hey, they're saying that we lost sound. Oh, no. So. Oh, no. Let me try that again. No sound for me. Okay. So <clears throat> let me try that again What about the, uh, about the hat. So look up Capello Romano, and that is spelled C-A-P-P-E-L-L-O-R-O-M-A-N-O. Is everything coming through clear? It looks like my meters are okay. Uh, I must have had it muted. So what is a Capello Romano? It literally translates from Italian as Roman hat, but it is also known as a Saturno, S-A-T-U-R-N-O, because its appearance is reminiscent of the ringed planet Saturn. Now, as far as I can tell, this thing has been worn by the Catholic clergy for hundreds of years, and that would be before telescopes were invented if uh, if i'm not mistaken so it's a hat with a wide circular brim and a rounded crown worn outdoors in some countries by catholic clergy when they are dressed in a cassock now unlike many other articles of clerical clothing it serves no ceremonial purpose but it is primarily a practical item now why would they go out of their way to say something like that it's not that it has no specific liturgical use. It's weird, huh? Yeah, even <laughs> though it's called a Saturno. So uh, I might call poppycock on that one. I mean, or or it could just be a quinky dink. But, you know, this thing has been around for hundreds of years. And um, I don't know. Why are they calling it that? If they didn't know that Saturn. This has always been my thing with Saturn. And I can't find a good answer. And I looked at this stuff quite a few times over the years. How the hell did they know that Saturn had rings? Because you can't see that with the naked eye. 
Oh, maybe well, they had telescopes long before it was attributed ah, to uh, being a thing. Ah, That's a possibility, huh? Or you can't um, see it with the naked eye now. Um, be, yeah, I, I mean, I have. I'm of the opinion that um, we have devolved, not not evolved, and that we at one point probably had um, much better um, vision, much better. Um, Health. I mean, certainly. Again, uh, according to the accounts, not only in, um, you, you know, not only in the Old Testament of the Bible, but in um, uh, many other ancient accounts, people lived a very long time, uh, and so the, the chances are that they were equipped much better, uh, both physiologically and mentally. Uh, so uh, I suspect that they could easily see it, and perhaps um, if you look up at the sky and you see what we now call the Milky Way, what the uh, many of the the um, uh, you know, uh, the aboriginals and the Native Americans, they all called it uh, the crack in the sky, right? So um, pretty good chance that, that the sky has changed. There, there was, uh, there's a lot of um, ancient, um, a lot of ancient mythology about um, Saturn and Jupiter uh, being much more visible and that Saturn was the sun at one point. So some weird stuff there. I think that um, the sky may have looked very different and we may have been able to see it in a much different way. Right. That is one of the big implications. Now for folks wanting to hear the more common stuff. Yes. That there are things that are supposedly attributed to Saturn, such as ear rings worn, worn by women to hear the, the whisperings of the God Saturn or uh, wedding rings. It's a binding spell. You are binding yourself to another person as well as the God, because what are you doing? You're taking vows before God, man and God, uh, which God? Well, we've been going through this. We've been talking about how these things seem to have gone from one to the other, from El to Yahweh, and then on and on up into Christianity in the modern times. And the big thing I have to stress to folks that maybe they aren't aware of uh, is that a lot of these things seem to go with the ages. The, the astrological ages and, and all of that stuff is extremely important. Uh, it's definitely important to the Vatican because it's all over the place, uh, not to mention their giant obelisk uh, in, in Vatican Square, which is a, a timepiece. So anyway, uh, yep. that, that, there's not that. to mention their, their Lucifer telescope. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Lucifer, as I think most people know now, means light bearer or light bringer, but it's got other connotations, <laughs> does it not? <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah, and you would think that, uh, and you know, an entity such as the Vatican would be a little bit more, you know, selective. careful about what they name. Yeah, it'd be somewhat more circumspect, about, right? Yeah. Yeah, about what they they name uh, these these things that they own just based upon public perception so you know when they're outright in your face telling you this is our our telescope lucifer yeah, uh, that should tell you something about the vatican yeah. well i think we've seen enough of their imagery uh, <laughs> that there's some dark stuff going on indeed but hey nothing nothing to see here in terms of you know child abuse and um all that sort of stuff they, they would never be involved in in that no that doesn't go on never <clears throat> not right. not at disney either no <laughs> no no that would never happen. all right the deluge in rabbinical sources during yeah. the seven days when the world was flooded by sheets of light and terrifying signs and commotion filled the heavens the holy one quote unquote reversed the order of nature the sun rising in the west and setting in the east but during the deluge, the sun and the moon shed no light, and for an entire year, the planets did not follow their regular courses. 
It may be that because of dust discharged by volcanoes, the sky remained veiled for a long period, and this veil made any celestial orientation impossible for the survivors. But quite possibly the statement refers to a change in the celestial orbits, as we were just saying. The rabbinical sources add that the earth was quaking and the sun was darkened and the foundations of the cosmos were dislodged. The entire world was in volcanic activity. Quote, amidst lightnings and thunders, a very loud sound was heard in the entire world, never heard before. The flood was caused by waters pouring from above, but also by yep. waters drawn up from the ground. Quote, all yep. the fountains, the fountains the above and deep. the fountains beneath. Yeah. Yep. All the fountains of the great deep were broken up and all the windows of heaven were opened. Yep. The waters that came from the sky were heated. That's as in mm. H-E-A-T-E-D. They were warm. Many passages in the rabbinical literature refer to the heated water. So why do I bring that up? Well, apparently this is the catastrophe that changed things from the golden age of Saturn to whatever is now, presumably. Yep. Yep. I'll buy that. I have one more point, by the way, uh, just to let everybody know. We've still got about 20 minutes left, so we're good. But it's a very long point, and it's actually written by a prof- by the, uh, Shalom Sela, or Sela, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, who is Professor Emeritus in the Department of Jewish Thought at Barland University. So that'll be the final point on Saturn. It's called so Saturn and the, the Jews. The Professor of Jewish Thought, to, can he tell me what to make of free bacon? You're <laughs> 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 ah, the great the great Jewish dilemma. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, okay, what do we uh, make of the deluge here, gentlemen? I think it's spot on. I, I think that, um, you know, it's been long denied by, um, quote, modern science that they, they kept saying, there's no evidence for it. And, and there's evidence everywhere that even a child could see, uh, not not including that every every culture, ancient culture, had a story of it, um, all very similar. Um, I, I think you've got to be um, extremely um, self-deluded or uh, simply in denial uh, to reject the the, um, the the overwhelming evidence of it, and and again, the, um, like what you just said, the rabbinicals um, uh, goes hand in hand with that. With that ended the golden age. Uh, I think that things um, uh, changed drastically uh, between the antediluvian world and the world afterwards. Um, and again, according to to biblical scripture, um, they didn't even recognize the place when they got out of the ark um, that it was a, a completely um, they they saw it as dead, and so the world that we have now, um, that we think is beautiful and lush and green, um, those who survived, those few who survived, saw it as um, completely dead and lifeless. And if that gives you any indication of the difference between the way it was then and the way it, the way it is now, so. Um, uh, from all the study I can do, uh, I've, I've done uh, all kinds of things from the electromagnetic field um, uh, that we have, uh, that's um, uh, the toroidal field. Everything was, um, all the evidence points to the fact that it was so much more powerful um, uh, going back and that um, if indeed um, – as uh, Dr. Carl Baugh suggested, that um, there was uh, there's again evidence that um, there was uh, twice the air pressure uh, and uh, about 150 percent more oxygen uh, in the uh, and nitrogen in the atmosphere. Uh, that things would have grown at an astronomical rate. You would have had huge plants, uh, and there's again uh, fossil evidence of that, uh, as well as huge uh, critters, and we have fossil evidence of that. Uh, so it's uh, 
rational and reasonable to think that um, mankind would have been similarly um, a much different creature. Uh, and uh, again, the evidence from the writings and from uh, everything that I can tell was that it was a, a very different world. And, and this is where the tales from Atlantis come from. That golden age, um, to me, is uh, Atlantis being the antediluvian world. Those are, those are my thoughts. Take them, awesome. take them for what you will. And that, that's also uh, kind of a tie-in where the, the whole idea and concept of, of giants comes from. Because uh, if, uh, you know, the plant life and the animal life was much bigger uh, in this, this type of uh, more pressurized, oxygen-rich atmosphere, uh, it would stand to reason that human beings would be bigger as well. And uh, there, there has been uh, allegedly found a lot of... Uh, fossil evidence of this yeah. of uh, giant bones and, and this is recorded going back uh, you know a thousand years or better uh, thousands of years people have been finding uh, the remains of, of giant humanoids so uh, it, it it's one of those things that uh, is also allegedly covered up uh, by the yeah, Smithsonian I was just going to say the Smithsonian other, has made it right. has made it their their entire goal uh, to to cover that up. So sure, absolutely. And uh, there's there's a great book, uh, the Ancient Giants Who Ruled America. Uh, I can't think of the author's name off the top of my head, but that's a really good book that documents uh, you know these archaeological finds of, of giant remains throughout all of America. Uh, so you know that's that's a book people could look up. I would highly recommend. It's it's very well researched, and uh, you know it it, it shows uh, the existence of, of this evidence and how the Smithsonian covers it up. So, uh, but that that's neither here nor there. I wanted to touch on another point uh, in this idea: how it talks about uh, how the waters that came from the sky were heated. That's uh, interesting, first, huh? It is. First of all. Uh, this delineates, you know, the idea of the waters above and the waters below and uh, kind of backs up the idea that space might be something more akin to a liquid. And um, a common descriptor that's given of space now is it's a vacuum and it's it's close to absolute zero in temperature. So it's cold. It's not warm. It's cold. And except for the thermosphere. Except for the yeah, except for <laughs> allegedly the thermosphere, which, which is these where satellites the have no problem. Be, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they have no yeah. problem flying around in this three thousand degree heat or whatever. Yeah, no it's, problem. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's no, fine. No big deal. Yeah. yeah, but at any rate, though, way past uh, the melting point of aluminum. But hey, nothing to see here. That tinfoil survives just fine going through that. I mean, look at the moon lander. So right? yeah, no problems. Uh, but at any rate, uh, uh, what I was saying is is the way that uh, you know these people describe things to us is often opposite of how it really is. So if they're describing space as being cold, is it maybe warm and is it maybe more akin to a liquid than it is to a vacuum? I think uh, so. that's, I think so too. I mean, I think this, this is kind of uh, evidence from people who are a little closer to source than us uh, that that might be the case. But also there's an esoteric idea encoded in this too. The water from the sky was heated. Now, water is a representation of the physical, and fire is a representation of the spiritual. So this is the infusing of spirit into physicality. So, I, I mean, this, this could be construed as, once again, the, the introduction of the divine spark, per se, uh, into the physical world in one sense or another. So, I mean, this is a connotation that could be made from it, uh, but... 
like I said, that's that's you know, it's one of those things that's open to uh, interpretation, but it, it's definitely something that you could uh, you could see within that idea, and uh, the idea that this this water comes from the sky, uh, and it comes to the earth once again. The sky, air, is being a spiritual idea, and earth being a material idea. So this is the the uh, alchemical marriage. Uh, between the the spiritual and the physical, if you want to look at it from an alchemical standpoint, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that could be derived from this whole concept. All right, so let's get to this article as our last point on the notes I have here, but there's going to be a lot to break down, I'm sure. So again, this article is called Saturn and the Jews, and it was written by Shalom Sela, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Jewish Thought at Barlon University. Actually, it's Shlomo. This thing must have autocorrected. I remember his name is Shlomo. S H L O M O. Yeah, this thing autocorrected. Hey, check Shlomo. That out. Shlomo. Shlomo. Yeah, his name is Shlomo Sila. Anyway, Professor seven. Emeritus in the Department of Jewish Thought at Barlon University. Underlying the well known link between Sab- Saturday, or Shabbat in Hebrew, and Saturn, Shabbatai in Hebrew, is the reference to Saturn as the planet in charge of the Jews. Now, remember, this is a Jewish person saying all this, so keep that in mind. Interesting. Behind the link between Saturn and Saturday is the astrological theory that assigns the seven planets in succession, beginning with the sun and following the order of their orbits, to the 24 hours of the day and to the seven days of the week. Prominent Roman historians, as well as church fathers like Augustine, acknowledged a special link between Saturday and Saturn, the holiest day of the week for the Jews. That Jewish society of the Talmudic period recognized the same association is shown by the fact that the Babylonian Talmud refers to Saturn as Shabbatai, for example, the star of Shabbat or Saturday. Greek and Arab astrology, however, considered Saturn to be the most malignant of the seven planets, and thus the Jews astrologically governed by Saturn were considered to be contaminated by the planet's wicked nature. Abraham Ibn Ezra, who lived approximately 1089 to 1161, is the first Jewish thinker to deal with the problematic link between Saturn, Saturday, and the Jews. He addresses the astrological association throughout his writings, both scientific and non-scientific. He removes the sting of this embarrassing linkage by stressing that Saturn is actually conducive to a Jew's religious faith. In his long commentary on Exodus 2013, Abin Ezra associates Saturn with the fourth commandment, ordaining one to, quote, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, from Exodus 28. And he explains that this correspondence allows the Jews, by not occupying themselves with everyday matters, but devoting themselves solely to the fear of God on this day, to protect themselves from Saturn's baneful influence, and also to improve the quality of their religious belief. So there's a lot in there. Who wants to take it first? <laughs> um, I, I had a, some interesting conversation with a um, with a rabbi, and um, one of the things I found fascinating in um, their description was, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, his uh, the the fact that according to him, there there they have been um, a, a people um, with. Uh, 
broken legs uh, for for a long time because they have no place to for their temple. Right, they can't do their sacrifices. And he said it's it's uh, interesting, and that's the only uh, the only place that. Um, that they have that that is sacred because they are uh, they're culturally and this is the part that I found really interesting um, is they don't think in terms of sacred places what they have is sacred time uh, and so the feasts and these things were set up set apart as uh, sacred uh, and that's um, uh, really interesting when you combine that with um, uh, again the Genesis story um, said that you know at the end of the six days of creation um, that the creator uh, saw that all he had made was very good uh, and that he rested on that day and sanctified it and made it holy and then when you get to the, again Exodus 20 in which is uh, the Ten Commandments um, it's the only one that begins with um, remember uh, the Sabbath day to keep it holy all the others kind of begin with um do this and do this thou shall not and uh, that sort of thing this is the only one that said remember um the, the sabbath day to keep it holy uh and so that it was set apart uh, and then uh, they were saying you know the, the, the instructions there are um, don't do any work don't do these uh, uh you know the pleasure your own thing don't don't work basically spend the time uh in meditation and contemplation and i, I find that very interesting um that um and from my perspective, I guess, is that um, if uh, if the creator did set aside specific time, uh, that would be um, that he blessed it. Um, for, from my perspective, um, it's uh, good for me to, to take advantage of that. And so I have for um, for many years tried to, to set apart um, that time and uh, just allow um, you know uh, for a deeper communion uh, with my creator on that day and. Um, uh, uh, to me, again, uh, some people probably say that's a you know placebo effect or whatever. But from my own personal experience, I find that um, the 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 idea of a of a Sabbath and a day of rest is um, immensely beneficial, and I miss it very much when I when I'm not able to take advantage of it. But uh, for many years, I've um, uh, tried to do that. But I, but I found it uh, again. I found fascinating the idea uh, that the of the rabbi saying that they um, they don't think in terms of um, sacred space, but rather sacred time. Uh, again, with the the different feasts and um, that they have the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, um, and the Jubilee Cycle, uh, which is another fascinating study if you get into the study of the Jubilee Cycle that, uh, that was 49 years in the 50th year. Uh, they returned um, all the land to its original owner. Slaves were set free. Um, debts were canceled. Uh, it's a very, very interesting concept. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea of, this, uh, of the Sabbath and, um, uh, and there being time, and then um, we get back to the idea of Kronos uh, or Saturn being uh, sort of the, the Lord of time. It's, a, again, a very interesting um, dichotomy there. Yeah, and I, I kind of uh, agree with you, and I think the concept of the Jubilee year uh, is something that, that really relates more to a common sense approach to things and, you know, a kind of a natural law approach to things this this in this year this would be every 49 years uh, there's your cycle of seven by seven seven by seven sure right and yeah but, one of the things with they, they you know let the the land rest right so you didn't plant any yep. crops right absolutely you, it, it's that was very the point interesting I was just gonna make yeah it's yeah. very interesting and uh, even farmers or anybody that that works the land would tell you that you know uh Every seventh year, I think it is, they usually will let the the land rest or something mm -hmm. so that it could replenish itself. But 
uh, it's it's important that during this this jubilee time, it's kind of a big reset for everything. Like you said, anybody who's indebted, their debts are forgiven. Uh, you know, slaves are set free, that kind of a thing. And this this was a tradition that was observed, and I think the world would be a better place today if it was still observed. It's it's really I a agree. common sense kind of practice, uh, you know, because it's once again this this goes back to the whole free will idea as well, because. All, all these things, all these man-made things are, are going to come to an end. So whether you're bound by, by some of these different constraints like like debt or, you know, uh, indentured servitude or, or whatever you may call it, there should be a period of time when, when that time's up. You should be freed from that yeah. and, you know, allowed uh, to regain your, your free will and, and to get your bearings back. So I think the Jubilee year concept is something that's sadly lacking in our society today. Agreed. Well, as well as the idea of as well as the idea of just a a day of uh, rest and and, uh, a Sabbath idea is um, one of the things in my study of the um, uh, this whole you know awakening project and um, the means and methods being used by the controllers to. uh, keep us distracted. You know, fear is one of the, the big ones, but um, extreme busyness is another one, right? Is that yep. um, that we cannot um, functionally think when we're stressed out. And so we're much more easily controlled when we're tired and when we're unable to think. And so that's one of the things that they do, for example. That's why um, <clears throat> that, that is why the um, uh, the news comes on at night because you're unable to, you're so tired, you're, you can't think through the things critically and you just absorb it. And this is why most of the programming happens at night as well. Um, um, that they chose these times so that you would be um, specifically uh, unable to critically think through it. And they keep you so busy and so occupied and in a fearful state that you can't really uh, contemplate. And you have, again, within modern media, such a short attention span um, that you can't really cogently think through things and so the idea of taking a moment of, of rest and uh, a day uh, of meditation uh, to get grounded and uh, you know I'm into that take off your shoes and get grounded to the earth um, and get reconnected to nature uh, is, a, is a fabulous thing right so whether um, you know again it's not a religious thing for me but it's a it's a connection to my creator um, to, to try to reconnect with um, the, the creator and his creation is to uh, to take that time and to release myself from the responsibility of the world and um, that you know a reminder that um, I may be in it but I'm not of it and uh, uh, keeps me um, keeps me grounded so so to speak so I, I totally agree with you Jubilee and um, day of rest would the world would be an immensely uh, better place um, if, if we uh, all took uh, took a moment uh, to, to remember that and also remember um, again that uh, we're all creations and, and we're all you know brothers and sisters and they're not your enemy but Anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent, and that's that's actually a spiritual need that that people have that they may not be aware of. You need this day of rest, uh, a, a day to reflect on things and to think and to uh, you know commune with with the Creator. Uh, you know, however you want to want to view that. Uh, a day away from the daily grind and the daily responsibility uh, of all the physical labor, and uh, this is something that. Uh, the powers that be have been trying to eliminate from the human condition. I mean, there, there used to be a time when everything was closed on a Sunday in this country uh, because of, of this whole idea. Yep. And, and now, uh, basically, everything is a twenty. It's a twenty four seven society we live in. So, uh, you know, it's it's go 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 all the time. And this relates back to a document called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, wherein it talks about uh, keeping. Uh, 
how does it word it? Keeping people busy so that they're just like animals down on the farm with no time to really think things through or, or you know, or, or really reflect upon, uh, you know, their their condition that they're in. Yeah, so, absolutely. And this is part of the control structure. This is actually what it's about. And if anybody, if nobody's heard of that uh, document, I would highly suggest look it up and read it. It's called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And it's basically an outline of... It's how, an eye-opener for sure. Yeah, of how the social engineering is done. So, uh, you know, I, that, that could be a good homework assignment for people. And there's a lot of Saturnian concepts bound up in that as well because it is about uh, controlling your time and... Uh, constraining your energies to uh, basically work and being busy and too busy to really think about your 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 lot in life just to keep you busy and distracted and that way you're controllable yeah i saw uh, owen benjamin show up in d live chat and hey man we're trying to serve up the the gravy for you so uh <laughs> i was just gonna so mention that welcome good, good big to bear see you yeah. showing up owen uh, see that derailed us, but <laughs> <laughs> it's no, Not it's, at it's all. Great, we're almost done. Hey, we've we've been off the rails for a long time, for a man. while, right? So, uh, but yeah, we try to to get the get the good gravy going here. So, um, but yeah, bring everybody back to the idea of um, you know reconnecting with their creator and um, take taking that time and um, you know I, I think that uh, again would be uh, as we said uh, great for everybody. Now, Absolutely. since we're almost done here, uh, this is not a topic we can just do one week and then all of a sudden that that's it. There's so much to this, and we'll be coming back to uh, to, to touch on this quite a few times. Um, Bill Cooper, yes, definitely the whole Bill Cooper thing. Uh, oh, looks like we got a last-minute super chat from Mountain Smithy for $5. Thanks, man. Hermes translates as to draw out that which is hidden in darkness, which is the secret fire of Saturn led the hidden one. Spirit world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mount Smithy. I always like to, to uh, see your little posts every week. These are great. Thank you. Um, but anyway, what I would really like to explore is more about the concept of L and just how far back can we go? I, I did quite a bit of homework in the past couple of days for this show, but... Uh, there's definitely a lot more we can we can get out of this, but uh, who wants to get in some final words here before we wrap her up? Um, well, you know, um, uh, this is a great topic, and again, I, I think it's uh, difficult to go deep enough into the the idea of this um, Saturnian symbology. Um, it's been uh, throughout history; you can see it everywhere. And uh, as you've discussed, and all those great points you came up with, Jason. I mean, uh, again, we discovered, I think, all of us that. Depending on the source material, um, it's going to be kind of leading you down different trails, but there is certainly correlation between all of it. Um, so it's a it's a fascinating topic, no matter how you look at it, and certainly um, one that the uh, the controllers um, are deeply into. Um, so we, and with that, and and the from final words for me is again uh, working on this awakening project. If you guys want to be um, uh, a part of that, uh, send an email to unintended.consequences3 at gmail.com. Uh, we'll get you uh, in part of that, and uh, you can certainly visit uh, my channel, um, Unintended Consequences. You'll see it there uh, in the chat. I'll just uh, kind of spam it. Here. Here, um, so uh, 
There's the white rabbit there. Follow him. Uh, and uh, again, the the uh, podcast that was supposed to have been up this last Sunday got derailed uh, because of YouTube algorithms. So I'm just going to um, redo that and reset and we'll drop back five yards and punt. Uh, but that basically exp- explains a little bit more about the project and what we're trying to do there um, to try to uh, put some scientific methodology into um, the awakening process. Um, not only what causes people to wake up, but how we might better um, wake other people up. Uh, and there's some uh, very interesting correlation. I think the proof of concept has certainly been proven. Some of my original hypotheses have been proven out. Um, so um, I, I can't make any any promises, but uh, but ultimately I think we can get closer to a better understanding of what uh, what's involved here, not only the, the means and methods that are being used against us by the controller, but how we might break free of that uh, in a cogent, uh, cohesive, coherent way um, and uh, maybe come up with a kind of a deep programming script for other people um, to get them to, um, to plant those seeds. Right. So um, other people have been doing a, a great job of it. And there are a bunch of different channels that go through this. But I know that um, we all um, in, in this community often talk about what makes the difference between those who, who uh, wake up and, and those who are woolies. Uh, and and it, there does seem to be um, uh, a difference and we can measure that. And there's some metrics to it. So um, I'm, I'm finding that out. And um, so, again, if you want to send me an email, unintended.consequences3 at gmail.com. We'll get you in as part of the program. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, we're not gonna <laughs> crack your your bank account or anything. Just asking you some bit, just basic stuff. Um, uh, primarily start with the, uh, a recent Myers Briggs personality assessment. Uh, give you the four letter score there, the per- the uh, percentages if they offer it, um, your birth date and location, and then a brief description um, of your kind of your background and the awakening process, how it's um, how it's gone for you, what woke you up, how it's affected you, that sort of stuff. Uh, and we'll um, we'll start kind of a back and forth, and then uh, as we enter phase two. A phase two is going to come up, uh, but this has been really overwhelming. The responses have been great, so I appreciate that. Anyway, um, so look forward to uh, seeing you um, on that uh, podcast. It's going to be very different from these others that are not really getting so much in the conspiracies as in um, the the personal journeys of people who are waking up and what it means to them. So there you go. All right, Wayne, what do you want to say in yours as your parting words? Uh, Well, just looking at the concept of uh, L or Saturn and how far back it goes, it goes back way before the written word. So, I mean, it's you know oral tradition and everything carried forward. So there's really no telling how far back it could go. I mean, it's disputable what the actual age of the Earth even is, first of all. So it, it would be near impossible uh, for us to really pinpoint down uh, – you know, the oldest usage of this or, or the origin thereof. But uh, I do think it, it stands to reason that it does relate back to original language and, uh, you know, the, the spoken word, uh, because uh, in the beginning uh, was the word. So uh, that's that's the very foundation of where we all came from uh, when you look at it from, you know, a spiritual viewpoint. So, uh, you know, it's it's basically ties back to what consciousness is where we came from, where we're going, what this place really is, and, and what it's all about. And nobody really has the answers to that, but it, it is always good to ponder. But, uh, you know, uh, closing remarks here, I would say a lot of people seem concerned about the whole uh, uh, coronavirus thing going on in society. Don't buy it, guys. All the, the fear and stuff they're pushing in the media, don't buy it. Yes, it may actually be a thing. But uh, honestly, the way that they're just ramping this thing up, it's it's just beyond the pale at this point. So don't buy into the fear. 
uh, don't feed the beast, okay? Don't feed the trolls, as they say uh, in, you know, the internet lingo. And if, don't get if, the if, vaccine either. No. Yeah. So no. don't don't do that. <laughs> don't don't yeah. buy into it. Don't go spreading the fear yourself and and that kind of thing. It, it's just it, it's it's unbelievable just how far they've taken it, and uh, they're they're gonna keep on pushing it. But I just want people to rest assured. Uh, you know, I just don't don't feed the fear. Don't feed into the fear because this when it comes down to it. They're they're utilizing an archonic type force uh, to generate more fear and and really pull this thing full fledged uh, into the mainstream reality so that they could use it for whatever they see fit. If they want to lock down an entire city, they'll lock down an entire city. Yep. That's what I see it being used for. Uh, whether there's something to merit that or not, who could say for sure? I mean, I, I don't think it's anything. That that's going to be any different than any of these other uh, alleged pandemics we've had in the past well, couple of years. Yeah, and but, if you want to, if you want to believe what the you know what the Bible says, it's that uh, you know God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love absolutely. and a sound mind, right? So, um, yeah, and then uh, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. So yeah, don't right, so, don't give into that. Right. So, so look at it with a sound mind. Uh, use a little common sense behind it. Like like think about it. Like. How would you react if, uh, you know, if somebody was spreading a cold around, like, like it's the same kind of thing, or if the flu, you don't react in panic about the flu, and it's the same kind of thing. It's not exactly the same, but it's the same kind of thing. I don't know. So Owen, Owen says he got the vaccine and it turned him gay, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Stop it. It's fruity. It's fruity pebbles. <laughs> All righty then. Oh, that was that Gatosil vaccine, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, that was yeah, that was it. I kept using my coxiflopping, and um... <laughs> that, that's for something different, though, Bob. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay, <laughs> but at any rate, don't buy into the fear, guys. Don't don't feed into it. In the words of Douglas Adams, "Don't panic, and always don't panic. Know where your towel is. I've got my towel right here." All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks so much, guys, everyone being here. Good to see so many of the people I love the most. Uh, I don't have a topic for next week yet. I'm going to discuss that uh, as soon as we get off the air here. But thank you so much to everybody for being here. Thanks for the super chats. And take care. We'll see you next week.
Thank you. 